Hello, and welcome to Bald Leadership. I'm Colin Pular, and along with my co-host, Cavis Reed, we explore the ups and downs and all the different aspects of leadership. Today's guest is Mr. Len Rhodes. I just love the guy. I, 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 I said, Maureen, after you, maybe I'm going for Cavis. <laughs> <laughs> Community. And community as a leader, CEO, and president, meant it starts with me. I'm not going to just ask our players and staff to go out. I literally did. Never underestimate anything we all do in life, whether it's in the workplace, on the street, at the grocery store, someone needs change. Don't do what your mom and dad want you to do. Do do what you need to do, but make sure it connects. You got you to gotta pay the bills. So, you know, but they're not mutually exclusive. Do something you like. He's a former senior executive in the sports equipment sales business, the former president and CEO of the Edmonton Elks, former board chair of the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce, and a current active director in several organizations. Listen how his love for people and business has turned him to be one of the most successful marketing executives in Canada. Stop teasing us, Davis. <laughs> How are you, Lynn? I'm good. Are you floating or are you on, on land right now? Right now I'm on land, but I'm petrified about tomorrow. <laughs> I told Colin, I think you're like a cat. I didn't know that you liked water. I don't, but my, no. my Darlene and the kids have taught me into this, and I keep praying that the Titanic is uh, already sunk and this is not enough. <laughs> yeah. Listen, if, if you go down, bro, I'm not taking any sort of canister to go out there and find you. You're, you're on your own. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. One of my friends, Glenn, said, just walk around with a life jacket on all the time. <laughs> to make it worse, man, I can't believe you're going like you're going north. Like, yeah, you're, you're going to look at icebergs and, and like, like, well, how is this going to work? I, so we're that weird family. We, we want to see the exotic places like Alaska, Iceland and Switzerland. And I, uh, so Iceland's next. Uh, that's, wow. <laughs> that's the next on the bucket list. Okay. Kavis and I have been, been talking about, um, do, doing a doing a trip like doing a three four day trip and go catch some sports together and and oh, yeah. uh, and I've I've never done this so I've, I'm you know I'm talking to my wife I said hey Kavis got this idea and she's all supportive and everything she's oh no that that'd be good you guys get away and do a couple things and but um, but I realized why she's very she's very agreeable to this because she's been doing these craft camps where, where like she'll get together like sixteen other women. They oh, will yeah. rent a lodge and for a weekend, like three, four days, like they will make crafts and wow. eat and, you know, it's like, it's, I've never, I've had no desire to do that, but. Uh, no, you'll have more fun with kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we may have, we have to call you to bail us out, but that'll be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you might <laughs> can't get across the border. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, Colin, but uh, <laughs> use that one phone call wisely. <laughs> you know, my I won't call my wife. She won't pick up. She will just like, no, no, you're on your own. <laughs> Talk about that. I gotta, I gotta show you something, Kavis. I, I, I've, I, um, uh, Len, my, my, my wife. Um, 
works with the school. She works in finance. And so, you know, coming up to the end of the school year, she's, she's extremely busy. So she's going in early and, and, um, and kind of staying late. And, uh, she, she went in, she went in the office pretty early, uh, the other day and she sends me this picture. She goes, is this creepy or what? And she posted it on social media, but it, it's a white cargo van that's, you know, kind of been maybe a bit rusty. And it's sitting on the street right across from the school. And uh, like, I don't know if you'll be able to see on my phone, you'll see the little van there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, on the side of it is spray painted. If you could see that, it says free candy. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> so for anybody listening to this right now this is a public service announcement <laughs> if you see a white from the white yeah van. if you see a white van that says free candy just just keep on walking don't don't go to my mother warned me about yeah. those vans <laughs> So anyway, so so uh, folks, ladies and gentlemen, um, welcome to Ball Leadership. Uh, I'm Colin Pooler, along with my co-host Cavis Reed, and and today we got the pleasure of, uh, of of hosting Len Rhodes all the way from uh, Edmonton, Alberta, and uh, we're gonna have a little chat with Len. And um, so thank thank you for doing this. By the way, <laughs> uh, here. I, I don't know how Cavis convinced you, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> second? I I would just give you two seconds, Colin. I I apologize. Mm. <laughs> so how did Cavus convince me? Yeah, he just so asked. He, he asked, and that was it. Yeah. Thank you. It was great. It was fantastic. Oh, okay, no, I don't need anything. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Have a good night. Someone's trying to sell him candy at the door now. Okay, Cavus, did somebody what, what, did somebody come to your door to sell of, you candy or what? Yeah, uh, what part of "do not disturb" it means "do not disturb"? Was that a white van parked in front of yeah. your house? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> That's the way it goes. Oh man. <laughs> So um, yeah, so before we even get going, I I, I am interested. Uh, anytime Cavus invites him, I'm all, I'm always interested. Like, how did um, how did this happen? Like, <laughs> because <laughs> well, when I first got an email, Cavus's name wasn't even on it, and I thought I don't even know if this is legitimate. <laughs> then I asked him. <laughs> I asked a few questions, and then I found out Cavus was involved in some way. And the moment I found out Cavus was involved, I made a mistake and said yes. Hey, <laughs> Colin, the thing was, I sent the guy with the white band, and I said, hey, look. <laughs> Give him some free Find candy. From his yard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, it's just an honor, Lynn. I, I'm just so... I was ecstatic when you said yes, because as Colin well knows, well, you're just held in the highest regard. And just 
just a great man. <laughs> it's just, Thank you. It's, uh, it's, I'm looking forward to this chat. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so am I. I was, I was. Um, while while we we're just a little bit offline, there, Cabus. I was, I was just commenting on uh, just a, a bit of Len's background, and and uh, you know, there's there's a couple of areas there that you know we've kind of got some similarities there. Um, you know, just involvement with. I mean, you've got so much business and community involvement over the years and you know for a number of years you were involved with the chamber of commerce and eventually became chair uh in edmonton and um you know and i had the the uh really i was quite blessed to have that that a very similar opportunity um and uh you know finished finished my my term there um uh, a little more than a year ago um but it's just a fantastic opportunity to be able to engage and be part of the kind of the, the local business connection and um, and and finding out what it's really like to kind of be in places. So I a, I was just you know super impressed with with you know the kind of the broad range of things from the governance pieces to the chamber to some of the background in sports. So I I, I too was really excited uh, uh, you know to, to hear your willingness to join us in, in spite of Cavus's oh, antics and. <laughs> 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 it's uh, a real pleasure you know anything time i get to talk about business and leadership and how people make things work it's a uh, truly exciting to do so so everything that i can bring forward uh, is just one little piece of the pie everyone has some uh, you know formula that works for them and i just have a few things that in my toolbox that i've leaned on and a bit of luck along the way and good timing and that's the essence of success Cool. Yeah. And, and speaking on that, Lynn, do you mind telling everyone the, the Lynn Rose story on how you got to uh, that pinnacle of leadership? How, uh, you, I know you're from Quebec. I know you've worked in, in a number of different industries. What shaped you in terms of your leadership style? Do you, you mind sharing with the audience your, your journey? Yeah, it's a pleasure. You know, I grew up in Montreal. I was born in northern Quebec in a mining town called Shefferville, which is just on the Quebec side of Labrador City. I We moved to the Montreal at the age of one, and I never returned. I remember my dad, when he was still alive, said, son, you should go see where you're born. And I said, no, dad, I saw pictures, and there's nothing to go see, you know, unless you like fly fishing and hunting, and neither of which I do. So I said, no, I'll just rely on the photos uh, right now. But, you know, I grew up in a blue-collar family. Uh, we were in a low-income neighborhood in Montreal, but the beauty about the neighborhood we were in, it had the most ethnic representation and diversity in the whole province of Quebec. And it was a place, a municipality within Montreal called Côte des Neiges. And um, that just right off the bat, even before realizing it, and it wasn't until later in life, in my adult times, that I realized how lucky I was to be amongst such a diverse population, to me, a person is a person is a person. Now, one thing I didn't have in my family was any background with people that had been in the business world. Uh, both my father and mom uh, worked at a really early age, and uh, they went through the school of hard knocks and, uh, you know, just made a living and got things uh, paid. And so I didn't have anyone to look up to or any reference point, but I am so lucky to be the youngest of four siblings three older sisters, one of which wanted to be a school teacher from the age that she was 10 years old. And and uh, what that meant is because she knew what she wanted to do in her life is uh, I was her student. So as a young child, 
I remember summer vacation, literally we'd be playing school every day and she'd be teaching me math, spelling, this and that, give me heck if I didn't do my homework. <laughs> Unbelievable. But it was, when I got to elementary school, I realized that I had basically grade four and grade five math by the time I was in kindergarten, and same for writing and spelling, so I had an early jump. I think that's what gave me a bit of confidence right from the outset that I could do certain things. And I remember in grade six, now this like wouldn't happen today. My elementary school teacher, Mr. Wilkinson in grade six, because I had a good handle on what I was learning in class, would send me out every day at about a quarter to 12 to go pick up his package of cigarettes <laughs> and a May West cake. <laughs> it was a block away from school. So I'd go running to the convenience store, come running back with Mr. Wilkinson's stuff. He'd give me a quarter tip. And then I'd run home to go watch the Flintstones at noon to come back in the afternoon. So that's a long intro, but flash forward um, to... This you know, is I real. Out of it's so true. It's so true. The Maurier King size. <laughs> and wow. meanwhile, I'm growing up in a two-bedroom basement apartment, um, and my mom was smoking a pack and a half of Players Plane. My dad, two packs of, uh, 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 he was Belvedere King size. And so we were in a house, you know, like Cheech and Chong, full of smoke. And uh, God forbid, they didn't even know the dangers then. You'd be in a car, windows rolled up, they're all smoking. And my dad passed away from a heart attack, I guess, which isn't too surprising. But my mom is 93, and I just went to Montreal last week to visit her, and she's still living independently. She had kicked the habit at 72. So smoke from 19 to the age of 72. Oh, my gosh. Mom always had a can of Pepsi and <laughs> never ate her vegetables. But Jesus, <laughs> she's... She's doing well. So I get out of high school and I don't know what I like. Uh, actually, I do know what I don't like, but I didn't know what I loved. And I said, I'm going to jump into business and commerce. Uh, went to Concordia University in Montreal. Uh, had applied at McGill as well. Got accepted at both, but I wanted Concordia because I felt it was more universal in its appeal. Plus, I didn't have a ton of money, so I had to uh, do whatever was right. And the moment I took a business in my first semester, I just loved it. And um, so business is uh, what ticks with me. I enjoyed it. I graduated from uh, with a BCom with distinction. And then I got hired on campus with Canada Packers. And they wanted me to go to Toronto. That lasted four whole days and I quit. <laughs> <laughs> Came back to, down to 401. And uh, I remember my dad saying, how was your first week? I said, not too good, and I'm not going back. I can't even repeat what he said <laughs> to me. <laughs> there were a lot of F words in there. And um, I said, oh, I'll find something else. I uh, had graduated with someone that told me about an opportunity with Heinz Foods, and I applied, and I got a job with Heinz. Now, I grew, even though I grew up in Montreal, I grew up in the English. Uh, I learned French on the street with my French neighbors, but I had never worked in French. And I joined Heinz, and I remember we started with a sales meeting. I was a sales rep, and the sales meeting was eight straight hours of people speaking French. I came out of there with such a sore head, but that took me out of my comfort zone, and I learned how to express myself more and more in French. And they gave me a territory in Montreal, Montreal East, which is as French as it can be. And I went and called on grocery stores to sell 
Now everyone says Heinz products, uh, ketchup is easy to sell, but we had a hundred condiments. You know, you had the mustard, the pickles, the relish, uh, Weight Watchers line at the time. So you had to use ketchup to leverage things. And I learned at that stop, well, you've got to separate yourself from the competition. And I just felt you just give an extra effort and uh, you go back to your customers and you help them build displays because the manager is stressed. He has no time and you can take floor space if you're willing to do the legwork. And if you try to sell through so that don't just try to get your products in the store, help them be happy by selling the products through the store to the end consumer. I did that for a year and at the end of the year, and again, I just had a reputable product, but I, you know, you wouldn't want me visiting your house because I'd open your fridge door and see what you had in ketchup <laughs> bottles. I literally did that and became very competitive. Kraft was the enemy back then. And interesting enough, now Kraft owns Heinz. So they're all friends. So I do that for a year and there's an opportunity that comes up in the beer industry. And, um, and at the same time, Heinz wants to promote me, but guess where that would have meant going? To Toronto. And I said, I'm not going back. I'm tired of hearing my dad swear at me for coming back home. <laughs> so uh, Carling O'Keefe is looking for an English salesperson in Quebec. And they had the number one brand called O'Keefe Ale in Quebec, and they owned them Quebec Nordiques at the time in Quebec City. And I go for interviews, and it just resonated, and I said, my God, I'm a beer guy, you know? And I remember the guy interviewing me, Michel Rubita, I said, do you like beer? I said, do I like beer? I love it. And, uh, <laughs> and But no one in my family or my circle of friends drank Carling. They were pretty well all Molson people. And um, so... But they had other brands other than O'Keefe, Miller, Black Label, Carlsberg at the time. And that was a dream job. I was in sales for three years in Montreal. And um, after three successful years and happy years, they asked if I'd want to get into marketing. And I did want to get into marketing. But that meant Toronto. And this time, <laughs> I was ready. I was ready. And I'd been married a year earlier. I had a little baby. And we said, we're going to do this. And it's the best career decision I ever made in my life was going to head office where decisions are made and learned about strategy. Not only classic marketing, but we were wherever the decisions are made. And I spent uh, eight years then in marketing, so a total of 11 years. We had been acquired by Molson, so merger now with Molson and Carling. And we became the number one uh, uh, brewery going head to head against uh, Labatt's at that time. And the beer industry is so competitive. But just like I would check your fridge doors for what ketchup you had, now was taken to the next level. <laughs> you would never, ever be in a bar or come to my house and not have my brands. And I would even give you the first few cases for free to wean you onto it <laughs> and then have you for life. Kavis, <laughs> there, there, was, there was a guy who was hanging around my old neighborhood, used to do the same kind of thing, but it wasn't. It was, it was yeah, something it different. Yeah, it was different. <laughs> he was pushing something yeah. out. First one's free. Come to this band. Come to this band. Yeah, free candy. candy. Free candy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a guy across the street. So I moved from Quebec to, I live in Pickering, which is just east of Toronto, but I was commuting an hour and 20 minutes in, in the mornings and same to come back. But Bernie's across the street. I introduced myself to him, and he's from Newfoundland. Now, I figure I'm coming from Quebec into Toronto. I'm going to be speaking English. Bernie technically spoke English, but I couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then another neighbor says, don't worry, you'll get used to Bernie within a few weeks and you'll understand everything. And then, yes, that was true. But the stop at Moses was incredible. And after 11 years, I said, and I had a knack and success for repositioning brands that had been flagship brands, but maybe lost a bit of their luster. And um, I was given opportunities with one, then another, and then that became what I was great at is, and what I enjoyed was taking brands that had a great reputation, but perhaps had lost their luster and been a bit dusty. And my job was to take the dust off of it and revitalize the brands. And um, I made a decision. I was approached once again after 11 years, this would be in 1999. And I was approached by CCM Hockey, the equipment manufacturer from hockey sticks to helmets to the jerseys. Not only in the NHL, but for all the, the total world, global. And they were looking for someone with some strategic background. And the global head office was in Montreal. And they wanted to reposition CCM brand. It had, it's a brand since 1899. And it was the 100th anniversary. And they wanted to take it to the next level. So I actually accepted the job after multiple interviews. But I was torn because... I loved Molson. Like to this day, I love Molson. And and um, I cried on my last day and people thought, God, were you fired? I go, no, it was my decision. But it's just because I just loved Molson, but I felt I had to get myself out of my comfort zone and apply my skills to another category in an industry. So I took on global marketing and it was a different world because beer is about image and branding. But in hockey, it's about uh, technology. And uh, so you, you product differentiation outweighs branding, where in the beer industry, people, they close their eyes and they would do a beer test. They can't often distinguish between what, what beers they like. But in, in hockey, it's a different thing. It's performance based and um, just uh, got in 100 percent with that. And after a number of years, I was offered uh, to take on product development. And I said, I'm not an engineer. What do I know about product development? But our president at the time believed in me and saw something. He says, I don't need a, an engineer. I need a leader. And uh, I said, why are you saying that? He says, no, I know you're strategic. You can bring a vision and you're going to bring guidance to the engineers. And I go, wow, what a feather in my cap. But he believed in me more than I believed in myself. And I resisted at first. But he talked me into it and uh, I took that on and then eventually was given the keys for running the whole global operations for uh, CCM. And that was a, a, a thrill, you know, so we we signed. I personally signed Alexander Ovechkin. We had Sidney Crosby. We were acquired by Reebok at one point after a trademark dispute. Anyway, um, they buy us and they left us alone. They only asked us to do one thing was to launch RBK Hockey in the world of sports. We did that in 2005, became number two globally within two years. Now it's since been taken off the brand because then Adidas acquired Reebok and Reebok and Adidas sold off CCM. So they're owned by a private equity group now. Did that for 11 years, brings me to 2011. We're bought out by Adidas and now I'm a free agent. For the first time in my life, I'm a free agent. I just gone divorced. So I said, I have more flexibility to do anything I want, to go wherever I want. And Edmonton opportunity came up. Patrick LaForge, the president of the Oilers, had been an ex-colleague of mine at Molson's in Ontario. And he said, there's an opportunity that I've heard about uh, with the Eskimos at the time, now the uh, Elks. And he says, I think it would be right up your alley. If you're interested, send me your CV. I'll put your name forward. The rest is up to you. And um, I came for interviews and 
immediately I said, this is something unique. I've been in companies where really what matters is the bottom line, the bottom line, the bottom line. When I was with the uh, hiring committee, they were talking about doing things the right way, values, community. I'm looking up in the corners, there are cameras, this kind of camera, like this is too good to be true. This is like the last chapter in every textbook in business, but it's really almost a filler and no one really takes it seriously. But now this is the true thing. And I said, my God, this is the one I want. I had two other opportunities simultaneously. You know, when it rains, it pours. But when things come in positive ways, it comes in bundles of more than one, two, three. Then there were literally three and the Elks was the one I wanted. Turned down two other offers without knowing if I was going to get the Elks one. And I was all in. And uh, oh, can, got high. Can I pause you? You, you told the other folks... Like, no thank you. And you didn't yeah. know if this was going to actually yeah. turn out for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because you were turned on yeah. by, by values. <laughs> More than values. That was included, certainly, the values. This was probably going to be the most unique thing, and I recognize that in my life. Because this sports property, the Edmonton Eskimos, what it meant to Edmonton. Now, I'm a huge. I was always a CFL fan. Watched lots of games with my dad. I happened to be a Montreal Alouettes fan at the time, but my dad, who was born in Winnipeg, was an Eskimos fan. Why? Because they had the most success. He says everyone should love the Eskimos as the flagship of the league. The only regret when I took that job is my dad had already passed away. But at my hiring interview, I said, Dad, I looked up in the sky and I said, Dad, this one's for you. And uh, yes, so Colin... Uh, it was just everything unique about this smaller business than I had worked on in terms of numbers. We're talking at the time when I joined, I think it was $22 million in revenue. I just come from 300 million US, so 400 million in revenue at CCM. You know, Molson's, we're talking in the billions in revenue. Um, but this was unique. The only thing why I didn't think they'd actually take a chance on me is they're not going to hire a guy from Montreal. But they did. And they were more bold than I think I would have been in their shoes because the odds are they were going to go with someone from this community. But they they looked at my profile and they put geography aside and they asked one thing, though, would I be committed to the community? And I said, of course. And they asked me what later media people would ask. Are you actually going to live here? And my answer, well, of course, like that was I said, my house will go up for sale. And I did. I moved. And while I left the Eskimos in early 2019, I'm still in Edmonton. So Edmonton became home within 30 to 90 days. And I think people thought I was disingenuous when I said I fell in love with this city. But it married my, even though I worked for corporations as a white collar, it was my blue collar roots that I think I connected with. And I felt the genuineness of Albertans, um, really, and I felt really at home more than I ever felt in my province where I was born. So ironic, yes, but um, a great opportunity. And uh, I'm so blessed to have three major stops, even four with Heinz, because it was the start of something great. Heinz, Molson's, CCM Hockey, the Elks, and now I'm chairing Alberta Gaming Liquor and Cannabis. So just so lucky. And, and all that, you, I, I remember one of the first things you did was you plastered a wall with the value and mission statements. Absolutely. For the first time. So when yeah. you entered into the, the stadium and you enter into the office space, 
you saw in bold letters the values and the mission statement, the values that the the, the organization espoused. I want you, if you can, Lynn, please talk about the culture building aspect. Uh, you, you inherited a culture that, uh, and I think one of the reasons why the committee would have asked that is because the organization was founded on certain principles and values that echoed the Edmonton community and really the Northern Alberta community. Um, can you talk about the value of culture and how you built that culture to reflect the values that the hiring committee and you yourself have? Thank you, Kavis. Yeah, and you mentioned vision, and it does start with vision, you know, at a very macro level. And we, we uh, to this day, I can tell you what it was. It was to uh, be in the sports and entertainment uh, business. It went beyond sports. I felt that if we just looked in the landscape of sports, we were narrowing our opportunity. And when you look at through a consumer's lens, you should always look through your customer's lens. The consumer, uh, you're vying for their, their dollars, of course, share of wallet. Uh, they have to make choices, right? Uh, consumers have finite number of dollars. They can choose to come to a football game, but they can choose to go see a movie. They can take a trip. So you're fighting for that. The second is share of time. If you're coming to a football game, you are investing approximately three hours at the game itself. But generally speaking, it's taking you an hour to get there, an hour to go home. So now we're talking a total of five hours. You have one thing you cannot stretch is the time in a day. You have 24 hours. You can choose to sleep less or sleep more and do those things. But in the long term, you generally need to sleep. You need to eat. You got to do a few things, exercise. So your entertainment time is restricted. So, But looking at sports and entertainment changed the whole playing field in terms of how we were competing. The value proposition and how it ties to culture is I just believe that I had to assess first and be in the building and amongst the people in the community to assess the culture. And I think when you assess culture, you've got to look at what are the enablers. So don't, don't try to fix what's not broken and certainly know what your strengths are culturally speaking. Community is the easy one when it comes to the Eskimos, and it wasn't just a word on the wall on the Elks today. It, it was walking the talk, being out there, and understanding this job is not 9 to 5. It is literally 24-7. And, Kavis, you've been in this business. When you win, it's the biggest joy in your life. When you lose, no one has to tell us that we didn't do well. You go to bed, you can't even sleep. It tears us in our stomach. And it guts you. But cultural aspect, you've got to also look at what are the disablers that prevent you from going forward. And I thought when I joined the football club, because community-owned was also not-for-profit. Not-for-profit is often misconstrued that it's not a real business. And I thought, no, we're going to have fun. Fun is a key element to what we do because that's why people generally buy tickets to escape from their problems, not to come get more problems. And we should do the same. We should lead and smile and be inviting. When guests come in, have a great game. Even if you lose on the way out, we'll get them next time. Those are important things. But culturally speaking, I thought we were lacking the desire and the motivation to be the best. I felt that we are always looking at the past, the heydays, and this five in a row, and everyone would reference that, or to, people would tell me about Clark Field when they were kids. But we needed to reinvent that and to start looking forward and uh, looking at what we would do. So 
We had spent time, I'd hired the Disney Institute actually, because who better for customer service than the Disney Institute, yeah. right? Yeah. Some people thought this is, they were critical. This has nothing to do with football. I go, oh my God. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys are a bunch of clowns. Are you going to have Mickey Mouse? And But, you know, when they, when they came in the building, their line and their purpose is we create happiness. So if you've been at Disney, people are generally smiling until the point they leave and get their credit card bills a few weeks later. It's not cheap. But people are willing to spend good hard-earned money because they feel like they're getting the best, they're escaping, right? And they're creating happiness. So after a lot of work and we brought in the management team, is uh, our purpose became we create legendary memories. And uh, why this resonated, everyone can understand the player on the field. So Mike Riley is throwing that winning touchdown. There's something you remember for the rest of your life. That's creating a legendary memory. Winning the 2015 Great Cup, which in my life, I'm 59, that's the top five things. That's one of the top five fingers in my life in terms of a huge accomplishment and memory. But it also went to a more micro level. The person working customer service, if little Johnny or little Mary dropped their ice cream in the concourse, just replace it. Don't like don't ask for permission or talk about it two weeks later we only have 10 home dates in the in the football business it's the worst business model in the world but you have the ability to make things happen and there's a good memory allowing kids to meet players on the field Kavis, when you were playing kids to be able to meet you those are memories that they tell you 30 years later that they had the opportunity accessibility is a is a part of the culture of the eskimos that we had to embrace and that meant use that as a point of differentiation versus the Oilers, for example. Hockey is king in Canada, so football is queen. But how do we become a second highest destination and desire? Use the things that, you, that don't work in hockey. Try to get close to, to a, a star athlete in hockey. You may have one opportunity once a year at a mall for two hours and be in line for five hours, right? And then maybe the time is up and you didn't even have the opportunity. The football players, especially in the Canadian Football League, are accessible. So that is a key core value that we had to use. Community. And community as a leader, as CEO and president, meant it starts with me. I'm not going to just ask our players and staff to go out. I literally did, and we counted, 100 community events per year that it was there. So when you talk about doing your day job and then going out to the food banks, to working with amateur football, uh, talking about domestic violence and the evils of that, um, we did all that, and our staff did all that, and our players, but the buck starts with me, and that those are some core values. So when you talk about culture, first, don't be complacent. This is not a country club. We're asking our players to go get the Great Cup every year. As administrative people and staff, we should be trying to gun for the best, highest revenue, the most profit, the best delivery of customer service and experience for our fans at each and every game. Gave us, um, this is fantastic. <laughs> and, and, and um, you know, Len, uh, and this is a big compliment to leaders like yourself and, and Jim Hobson. Uh, we had the pleasure of having Jim oh, on this, this show. And, and I, I mean, I've got great. a, um, you know, my, my wife and I have had a great opportunity to get to know uh, him and Brenda and, and we've, we've served nice. together on the board and, and, um, you know, your talk about community 
engagement, being accessible, building family. Um, I mean, he was, he was at his time, they didn't have any money, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's like, yeah. well, let's even get some food and we'll get the players all together and just, and just eat together and, and, yeah. and share. And that was, that was really the foundation of success, even though nobody really, they just thought, oh, you're just getting some, some cheap chicken and, and sharing it around. But yet, yeah. you know, but that was the thing that made his year so successful. And I'm hearing this again. Like there is something to this. Oh, you know, you, you treat, I remember one board chair, we were on the road. I don't remember which city. And I was talking to fans in the concourse. Cause I would go around at our home games. For example, I would go around the concourse on the outside of the building in the stadium before each game for about an hour. Cause I needed to see things through my own eyes. And then we make corrections on Monday morning and no one could fool me and try to tell me what they need to hear. I've seen it with my eyes and we're all going to be accountable, including myself. But we were on the road once and one board chair said, Len, you actually look like you enjoy talking to the fans. I go, my God, of course I do. Uh, like, uh, like that was the single biggest joy outside of winning games is, is being with fans because they're so real and um, they just wear it on their sleeve. They'd go to the wall for their team, and we owed it to back to them. But Cavis is a good example. My daughter, who still lives in Montreal, when she first came to Edmonton after I joined the club, she met Cavis Reed, our head coach at the time. He treated her like a gold. We speak about Cavis. I was in Montreal a week ago for vacation. My daughter asks about Cavis. She doesn't ask about others specifically except him because, and I remember he took her, he said, Hi, Melissa. And he took her, I don't know what he did, he showed her around the building. She came back with a smile on her face and gave us whatever you did. You made her feel like a million bucks. And for those moments, 10, 15 minutes, she was everything that uh, you were thinking about. And you were focused on her and she'll never forget that. So never underestimate anything we all do in life, whether it's in the workplace, on the street, at the grocery store, someone needs change. The things you do sometimes... People will shout out what they don't like and they may not give you a compliment until years later. But the fact that my daughter is speaking about Cavis because I told her I was going to be doing this show. How's Cavis? You know, and uh, my wife, my my wife now in Edmonton saw me run into Cavis. Was it eight, nine months ago, Cavis? We yeah, were at a, yeah, yeah. At a conference or a, a dinner gala. Yeah. And she says, you and Cavis, when you're together, just the smiles. And I said, I just love the guy. I, 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 I said, Maureen, after you, maybe I'm going for Cavis. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a different show. That's a different show. <laughs> oh, now we're really going to have to edit this. Ashley, you're going to have to edit this one, man, because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other one, Paul. That's the other show. <laughs> It starts at midnight. <laughs> Easter standard yeah, time. We, we have an after hours version. <laughs> no, and, and Lynn, you, you said it. Uh, you said it so aptly. Is that in terms of building a culture, a leader needs to be the example. Is do as I do, not just what I say. Because when you have that kind of street cred. And everyone's watching you. We all know that as a leader, yeah. by title yeah. or whatever the case may be, yeah. people are watching you and they want to know if you are an authentic leader. If you're willing to roll up your sleeves, that doesn't diminish your value and strength as a leader. It actually 
personifies exactly what you're asking them to do. And in that regard, you mentioned a few times is being creative, going to Disney and getting best practices. How important is it from your perspective is creativity and adjustment? Because in the business of sport, from week to week, from day to day, there's always have to be that adjustment. How important is creativity and adjustment is to leadership? I'll start with adjustment. Uh, we're in the live sports business and you can plan ahead and we did the you know five year planning, but uh, you've got to be agile and quick on your feet. you know there's a lot of things that come in the way of distractions and you've got to be careful not to fall in the trap of just reacting to distractions. You've got to be aware of them. One, for example, because you're in the limelight is you have a bad game and the media is on you, right? And that's their job. But if they do it in a fair basis, we'd be the first to say you're right, because again, we agree, we want to win. Um, there are times though that can get personal and it goes beyond the wins and the losses. And then, then you try to have a chat with that person one-on-one -on -one and try to correct course. So I think if you have a, you need to have a strategy. So the strategy doesn't mean to say we have a strategy and we can't be agile. You have to be, and you have to adjust along the way. It's kind of like your trip. If you're going to uh, Vancouver and you're driving there, you have your roadmap or your Google, your Google map, but you got to be prepared that you're going to get off the highway a few times and maybe go discover a coffee shop and you didn't plan for that. And you're going to, one thing leads to another and takes you down a course where there's a construction site, whatever it is. But adaptability is the essence of surviving this day and age with technology and innovation. We are going at, at record speed and young people will have trouble focusing on one thing because they're so used to multitasking. And as older people in my generation is, we used to say we can't focus on more, thing that, uh, uh, more things than one or two at a time. Now you have to focus on, on things at, at the same time. But um, I, I think the creativity, the beauty about, you know, there's pros and cons. You, they went and got a guy outside of the football world, even though I'm a big football fan with the CFL especially, because of why it brought from other industries, because you start seeing things within, within silos. And I had a different perspective and different reference points. But you have to be careful because you still have to be true and authentic to whatever category you're in. I couldn't just do what I did at Molson's or CCM and think it would work at, at, with the Elk. So I had to be very attentive to look at the, the, the culture that existed, to adapt to myself, to be a sponge at first. But creativity and innovation, I think, are commonalities that are key uh, success factors nowadays, no matter what business you're in. You have to think outside of the box, but be real. Don't get cute for the sake of being cute. Mm -hmm and have your priorities. So with the Elks, our strategy, we had a power triangle and it was first on-field performance, the top of the heap. You know, my, my incentives at the end of the year were based on performance, winning and losing. So if we didn't make the playoffs, there was all hell to pay and there should be. The second one was game day experience because those 10 home dates, nine regular season games and one preseason game and hopefully one more with a playoff date You've got you've to maximize that. You've got to hit that out like a home run each time. And then the third element of that power triangle was community. While we only had 10 or maybe one plus playoff game home dates, 
we were in the community where we could be relevant. We had to be relevant for the full 365 dates so that we were visible. We didn't lose the news cycles. We weren't always second to fiddle to the Oilers or whatever else was happening. And uh, so you have to have the strategy, but within that you have to adapt and you have to talk about it. So if there's an issue, you huddle, literally huddle, you deal with it and you say, what are we going to do about that? So separate distractions from strategy. Man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting so pumped. I've lost my questions here. <laughs> 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 okay, I was going to ask that, but now, now it's now, now I got to, I got to find something else. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, one of the things that you talked about was getting out of the comfort zone, and um, you know, as a, and I'll just even take it from my own experience as a as a, you know, a leader developing, um, and even maybe having little bits of success along the way. There's times that I find myself in a comfort zone. They don't necessarily realize it until suddenly I'm challenged with this new fear of, oh my goodness, what do I do next? When you, you must've felt that, I mean, it was clearly a motivator for you to move on in in your career, but um, you know, to those that might be listening, um, it's also, it's also kind of a scary spot too. I, you know, for lots of, like, could you, could you talk a little bit more about your experience kind of going through that and how, how you, how you overcame that where you've just pre-wired or, or did you, yeah. was there a process that you kind of went through? You know, Colin, uh, you, we all, we all have different DNA and you know, what makes yourself tick in my case, I, I need to be stressed. I need to have a level of stress to perform. The moment I, and I've used the expression even during some job interviews is uh, I get stressed when I'm not stressed because <laughs> then I, I, if I feel too relaxed or I know my job too well, I'm worried that I'm not, I'm just going to stay in the same position and not move forward. And uh, so for me, a personal motivator is to have a bit of stress. Now, not too much. There's a point, there's a tipping point where too much stress means you can't perform and you can't focus. But enough stress in my case is what I like. I don't like maintaining businesses. So I'm the first one to take myself out of a company usually when I feel like I've done it and maybe it's ready for the next leader to do something different. Um, I think you've got to assess yourself. Part of leadership is self-awareness and assessment. And in my case, uh, you know, there's a book, The First 90 Days, the Michael Watkins, and I probably read it eight times. Every time I have a new challenge, I go back to and refer to it. And there's different business situations, and it could be a startup. It could be sustaining success, realigning, or a total turnaround. My sweet spot is realigning. I like coming into businesses that are not at their peak, just like I did with the brands at Molson. And I feel like I can inject something and improve it. I'm not good once we get to this point of success is just maintaining. If someone says, we're just looking for someone to be keep this business stable, I'll be the first one to say, I'm not your guy. There's other people that will do that so much better than me. Now, having said that, you know, it takes a toll on, on your well-being because stress, constant stress does take a toll. But you weigh out against boredom. I, I, I can't deal with boredom. It would drive me nuts and I'd be my own worst enemy. 
Other parts of my self-assessment is I like taking action. I'm results driven. I'm high in the high performance area. But even though I work for big companies, I am, I do have the entrepreneurial spirit. And I think that ties back to Cavis with the creativity. I, I just like challenging norms, uh, things that have been done. Let's ask ourselves whether they're still the right things to be doing. So that's, that's how I approach things. And I, I love generating enthusiasm. So when I'm, I have people, people are my motivator. I do have to turn on and off the switch when I can come, when I'm home by myself, it could surprise people if they saw how I just want to have my space because I need to recharge the battery. But when I'm out and about, I actually deal with my own stress a bit by kind of just trying to brighten up the room. And then, then it just comes to me naturally. And uh, if I can articulate a purpose, like we creating uh, 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 legendary memories with the staff of the Elks and the Eskimos, then I think we have an army that's aligned, headed towards the same thing. So regardless, just like players on the field, there's a quarterback there. Uh, you know, the, the O-line is the most important thing in the quarterback. You can have the best quarterback in the world if he's not protected. Good luck, Charlie. So everyone has a role. And when everyone buys into the fact that they have a role and they we need to be aligned regardless of what your assignment is, the destination is winning games and getting that great cup. It's so easy, right? When I talk to business companies, I use the analogy of winning the great cup because it's easy to explain that when everyone can relate to it. But I ask them, what is your great cup? What is that ultimate goal that you have? And don't just tell me about 10% profit contribution bottom line. Because that should be a result of you achieving your purpose. It shouldn't be the only goal that you have. They're not mutually exclusive. But if you can deliver on a common purpose, anything is possible. When we won the Grey Cup in 2015, we had the most difficult year to start off. We didn't have a stadium to play in because the Women's World Cup of Soccer took over Commonwealth Stadium. I panicked a bit. We had to find a place for two preseason games. We did. We went to Fort McMurray. That turned out to be the biggest opportunity. We extended our brand and positioned it as the most northern game ever in CFL history. And we turned an opportunity. We had training camp in Spruce Grove uh, as opposed to a, a Commonwealth Stadium. And we took that as an opportunity. But until we found Fort McMurray, there were a few sleepless nights. Because where are we going to play? Some people said Footfield at the U of A. I said, well, that's fine, but it only the capacity is two or three thousand. Some had the gall to say, how about going to Calgary to play your home game? I said, never say never, but I'll say over my dead body. <laughs> and then we were so lucky. Fort McMurray, it was an employee in our staff that had said he saw that there was a stadium design coming to Fort McMurray. We spoke to them. Sure enough, they were going to have it built just on time for us, and we ended up being the first event that they had in Fort McMurray. And uh, talk about using some challenges and roadblocks and turning it into an opportunity. Don't just say, oh, well, we're done. As a leader, okay, I wish this never happened, but it did, so what are we going to do about it? Oh, man. Thank and that thank year, you. we won the Great Cup. We won the Great Cup, and football ops people don't like change. You know, going to Fort McMurray and having training camp in Spruce Grove is not conducive to stability. But we said, that's what we're going to do, so let's embrace it. We embraced it, we embraced communities, and we won the Grey Cup. 
and that uh, lend uh, leads me to this because that agility, that season and opportunity when it seems like it's challenging, it's in it's, it's in business. Uh, it's not just the business of sport. Nothing is on a flat line. There are going to be peaks and they're going to be to be valleys. And people look to their leaders when that happens and they want to see your reaction. Uh, I use the story all the time that if you're afraid of flying and you're afraid of turbulence, just take a look at the flight attendants. If they're not showing panic, you should not panic. Yes. In in that line, Lynn, one of the things I really admire about your leadership is not only do you know the customers, not only do you take an intimate um, uh, approach to the customer, you also take an intimate approach into the people under your care in terms of the, the workers and colleagues that you have on the staff. How important is that to you and how important should it be to leadership? I I can recall numerous times, you know the stories of the people that work in Ticket and you know the stories of the young ladies that work in in the the store just as well as you know all of your VPs. How important is it that you get on that level of understanding with your staff in terms of maintaining and building the culture and trusting the leadership? Trust is everything, you know, and it's two ways. You need to trust them and they need to trust you. And that doesn't happen just because we put it on the wall and we got to trust one another. You got to earn trust. And uh, the ups and downs, you know, in sports is is, is really prevalent. And um, I think when you win, people give you too much credit. And when you lose, sometimes they actually want to drive you out of town. But my job as a leader is to keep that line steady. So just like a, a mutual fund that goes up and down and wins and losses, um, in the long term, you want to have more wins than losses. And actually just preparing for this today, I look back at the seven years that I was there and I didn't even know my own wins and losses record, but it turned out it was uh, 58, sorry, 68 and 58. Um, so we had more wins than losses. And generally speaking, that, that bodes well. The people are everything. I am humble enough, and I'm not scared to say that, to know that I actually am the expert at nothing, but I'm a generalist. Someone knows knows their job better than I do at every turn I would take. The person in ticketing knew their job more than I ever did or will. The person on the field, the coach, would know more than I ever did or will. That applied in every category. IT, accounting. So people would say, how the heck are you the leader? Well, you got to know a bit enough about everything, how to align the resources and allocate the resources and bring in the best people. Two things that are important to me, trust and work ethic. You may not, if you don't know everything, you're not the best, I will do everything to make you succeed. But if you are lazy, you and I will have a problem because that is something with my impatience that I have when I look at my own personality, I am impatient, uh, that doesn't marry well. So those things are, are important to me. When you ask the staff, for solutions before you come with your business plan or strategic plan, ask your own staff, ask your customers, of course, but the staff will have them. You know what? The answers are less complicated than we make it out to be sometimes at a senior level. And they will say, my God, no one's ever listened to me, but this I've been trying to say 10 times over the years. I I would try to listen to them. It didn't mean to say I could execute and make everything they did happen because I may say, I agree with you on that. Tell me more about this. Or let me tell you why I actually don't, I'm not aligned with you on that thought. 
But at the end of the day, when I was able to sit with most people and get the input, I think you would see somewhere along the line, either a word, a statement, an idea could be reflected in our plan. And it starts with that. We are in a multi-stakeholder business when it comes to pro sports community owned. That was, that was new to me. You know, I generally speaking in my whole career reported to one person. Right. Now I reported to a board of nine people, but I really reported to the persons buying the tickets in the stadium. They're the ones that matter. But I also had accountability to the media, to shareholders, to the government. The municipal government owns the stadium. We were a tenant. They're a landlord. When we're trying to bring the Grey Cup hosting in 2018, which we did successfully, we went to the provincial government and got support. So you serve many masters. So it's trying to assess all of that. Don't make decisions too quickly, but make a decision. Once you assess, don't get into a state of, I can't make a decision because I don't know which way to turn. Go and make a commitment and follow it through. And don't panic if you're not getting instant results. Adjust, but don't panic because too many people are on the cusp of success. Even when you have a bad year, sometimes if you're having a losing year, you are closest to success than you were when you were 12 and six. But people don't see that as a leader, you gotta be, so the coach on the field has to worry about the right here and the right now. The president CEO has to worry about five years from now and make sure that we're maximizing today, tomorrow, and everything that goes to there. So we all we all have roles, but the people are everything. And, you know, president CEO, I always like to be called Len. I always felt uncomfortable and still do if someone calls me Mr. This or Boss. Um, because, and I think it goes back to them growing up in Cote d'Ange. I had nothing. And I am so, so grateful for luck and hard work and my sister who taught me about things and another sister who was born with a physical handicap who is deaf. These things teach you about empathy and people. I can get the most out of people. If you if you want to if you want to commit and be engaged, you will be on our, my team. If you just want handouts and you want easy wins, then you're going to go find another team and I'll even help you get an interview somewhere else and introduce you to other people. Because life is too short for an employee to be unhappy. We all need to be happy. It doesn't mean to say every day is going to be easy and there's going to be stress. But generally speaking, when I was with the Elks, I said I am the luckiest person in the world. And my biggest motivation was just being out and about and representing, having the badge of honor of representing the Edmonton Eskimos at the time and the Elks today is just incredible. Campus, I just feel pumped just... I mean, honestly, this is like therapy. This is fantastic. Mm, um, but it's real. Yeah. It's it's every cocktail. I, I, I talked about Molson's. I talked about CCM hockey. I talked about the Elks. And now I'm a chair role with Alberta Gaming Liquor and Cannabis. It's, and that's about, you know, we're a regulator and a wholesaler. And it's about doing things the right way. It's about balance, social responsibility. Heck, there's nothing wrong with having a beer. There's problems when you have 20 every night, seven days a week, but most people fall into the category of uh, consuming responsibility. For those who don't, get them get them some help and some tools. Gambling's the same thing, now cannabis. But everything is done in moderation. It could be a, a good world, but I think whatever you do, have fun. I, I taught a course 
last year marketing course at Concordia University of Edmonton. And um, I tell the students, don't do what your mom and dad want you to do. Do do what you need to do, but make sure it connects. You gotta you gotta pay the bills. So you know, but they're not mutually exclusive. Do something you like, make money. Don't feel guilty about making money, and don't don't be upset that uh, government collects taxes or companies uh, uh, make money because companies pour it back into the community. They're hiring people like you. They're paying taxes. They're helping build road schools and the bridges. So as long as everything's balanced, there's room for everything. But the motivator, competition is a great thing. Like it's not evil. Competition is fabulous. It makes us be the best that we are best. But don't compromise your values. Do it the right way. Never veer off and be tempted to do things for shortcuts or do things that are not honorable. Then you're going to go down the wrong path. Kavis, uh... Can I ask the last question? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I, 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 I think I, I wrote down what I think uh, is going to be the answer. <laughs> I, well, before I, even, before I even get that, like, uh, uh, Len, uh, again, like, I, I, I think this has been, this is enjoyable and I want to respect your time because I, because oh. I, because I, you know, we only, we asked for a certain amount of your time and I just, appreciate the energy and the, the, the belief and passion that you shared with us over this last, um, this last hour. Um, so the question is this, and we always laugh about it because, because we get so many cheats on this show. <laughs> they, they all cheat in the answer, but you know, Kavis and I, if, if you could imagine we're, we're a couple of mad scientists and we got our lab coats on and we have an opportunity to, with a blank slate, build a prototype leader and um and we can come to len and say len listen we we there's not a lot we can pack into this leader here so we've got to we have to be able to prioritize and uh you know and if if len could give us one attribute if there was one attribute that that len were to say uh hey this is a must this must be in that leader um what would that what would that be for Lens? I'll give you a second to think about it, but only a second. <laughs> I, I've got yeah. it. I've got it. You're forcing me. The most difficult thing you're doing, Colin, is forcing me to use one word, and I'll, I'll play by those rules. But just like a cake in the oven, there's a few ingredients. Now I'm not good at baking a cake, so don't ask me about baking cakes. But that would be another podcast. There's four or five ingredients from what I'm told that make it successful, right? The same is true about leadership. It's not one thing. The overlying theme is being true, be true to yourself. Okay. That is, that is something you've got to do. Learn from other leaders, take the best of everything, but be true to yourself because people will see if you're not authentic, but that's not my answer. It's inspire. Inspire is my answer. Inspire so that regardless of what you do, if you're a staff member in the company that I'm leading, I want you to be, totally totally pumped i want you to buy in i want you to deliver i want you to inspire from your end the customer that you're serving but if i'm not inspiring my own staff that's where it starts how can i ask them to inspire the end user the customer the consumer whatever the client whatever words you want to use 
inspire. And I think the way you do that, and I've done that in a room, is please, I ask everyone, close your eyes. We're going into 2015. We want to win the Great Cup. Fans are cheering. The community is ablaze. We're making the money. The fans are filling the building. People want more. That's where we need to be. And then they opened their eyes and they said, I just bought into that. Now let's make it happen. Now you don't snap your fingers and make it happen. And there's a, how you get there is through, there's a method to the madness, even though you've got to be agile and uh, be responsive, but um, inspiration, inspire would be the word, Colin. <laughs> I, I've, I've been inspired this whole hour here. Um, <laughs> this has been, so am I. Honestly, this, You've this given me an opportunity to speak about leadership and, you know, anything you do, you, you, I'm not doing you a favor. You did me a favor. You know, I, I listen to myself talk and I'm saying, oh my God, I even surprise myself sometimes what comes out of my mouth. It's just, but it's, it's true. And uh, there's no rehearsing on stuff like this. And uh, they, the topic that you, Colin and Kavis are bringing and allowing people to talk about leadership, it's the essence of everything because we are all leaders in different ways. Some people are a leader at home, some in the workplace, some, whatever that is, there's going to be opportunities in day parts. You know, when there's a fire, the one that will surprise you shows leadership and shows a way out for people out of that uh, theater that's ablaze. There's leadership ability and most people have it. Some don't even know it. And it's other leaders that have to bring out the best. Like that leader that came to me at CCM and said, you can take on product development. And I said, there's no way I can. And he said, yes, you can because you're a leader, whatever that meant. Kavis, I'll let you close, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, hey, you are an inspiration, Lynn, and I, I, Thank you. I truly and sincerely mean that because I've been under your leadership and I see how you uh, lead. I see how you encourage. I see how you motivate. I see how you inspire. Uh, you truly live what you preach and teach, and that's critically important. Everyone matters. Melissa is a beautiful young lady and Colin, she's now married and I'm so very proud of her and, and the things that she has accomplished and she's finding happiness. And the young lady from the very first time I met her, when I saw it, it's like there was a glow about her. And I think that when we see the glow around people, you are encouraged to be an encouragement to them. And I, I want to say it to you, Lynn. You remind me of uh, the, the story that Dr. Chen Ling uh, Chu uh, told in the uh, start of his, her book, uh, Do Less, Achieve More. Uh, this village was praying for rain, and rain didn't come for years. And so they hired this rainmaker to come into the village to set uh, the clouds uh, open and, and create rain. And he went into the hut, and he stayed there for weeks and did nothing according to the villagers. And uh, I think it was the 14th day rain started and everyone's excited and happy and jubilant, uh, jubilant. And he came out of the hut and they said, we didn't see, you didn't do much. You didn't do much of anything. How did it, why did it rain? He said, you needed to get back into alignment. When I entered the village, it was unaligned. There was chaos and someone needed to bring alignment and balance back. And that's where I reset, why I recessed to the hut to do that. So thank you for bringing that message that we all need to have that balance. We all need to have that alignment 
and we all need to be uh, truly understand what we are as leaders in order to lead other people so we really appreciate your time and i appreciate you as a man because you truly are a man of good character you're a man that have values and you espouse those and you inspire others to to do the same i am uh, touched by those words and i could not even do better than that as final words so i'm going to say thank you that's much appreciated and it touches my heart thank you well thanks we'll uh we'll wrap it up there thank you for listening to this episode of bald leadership if you enjoyed the show please follow like and share See you next time.